preseason projections for the 2023 college football season are already out there, but why listen to others when you can listen to us? This is SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams. John, I saw some, uh, uh, recently saw some over-under win totals for the upcoming season out there already and thought, you know what, we need to get into our look-ahead projections for this season. Who's the dark horse? Who's being overrated in some of this this early chatter? Because you know how on the money I've been in the past in picking some of those SEC dark horses. So why let everybody else have all the fun? We need to get in on this. In, in fact, Blake, uh, I don't want to brag too much on you and embarrass you, but it's eerie how accurate you've been on some of this stuff. Really <laughs> no, eerie. No question yeah. about it. So what we're going to do here today is uh, I think we, we've combined for three dark horses and we've combined for three teams that uh, we think are being a little overrated here in some of the early preseason chatter and, and over-under totals we're seeing about there. So I'm going to start first with, with a dark horse, John, and we'll, we'll get to, to one of yours. Now, this one I know sets me up for failure because Texas A&M is grossly overrated in almost every season. Last year, never more so was that the case when Texas A&M was a preseason top 10 team and finished 5-7. and seven. But I'm trying to not go on history here, trying to take each team on, on their merits coming into this season and, and not be overly swayed by that disaster of a season last year from A&M. And when you look at returning talent production, A&M has about as much returning production as anybody in the SEC. When you look at attempts to solve their problems, uh, they couldn't find a quarterback throughout most of last season, but the, toward the end of the year, they started building a little bit of momentum behind Connor Wigman. He'll be the starter almost certainly this season. And they've also brought in offensive coordinator Bobby Petrino to try to give a facelift to Jimbo Fis- Fisher's failing system there. So I think they've taken some steps to address the issues. They bring a lot back. And the over-under win total I saw projected from 24-7 sports was seven and a half. Now, based on that, I think they are being underrated. I think they're a dark horse. Uh, I think this could be something closer to the team that Texas A&M was predicted to be last year when they were so reliant on freshmen and sophomores. Not a great excuse. Jimbo Fisher should have done more in the transfer portal to make that more of a veteran team. But I think last year's team was was maybe being just a year away uh, from from some of those loftier projections. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly on Texas A&M. You also have to consider Texas A&M had a lot of injuries, particularly in the offensive line last season. There are a lot of really good players on this defense, and I think some of them could really have breakout seasons this year. Seven and a half is – that might be one of the best bets going. I, I just – you go back and look at the last two seasons, for example. I mean, would it really be far-fetched if Texas A&M finished out of Alabama? Think about it. They almost beat Alabama last year. As lackluster a season as the Aggies had the year before, it did beat Alabama with a pedestrian quarterback. So uh, Texas A&M, to me, is a contender in the West now, and I I could see it winning 10 games. Seven and a half, 
I probably should bet on that. That could be easy money for me. Maybe have a work in an extra vacation with the, my winnings from that. There you go. I'm not sure if 24-7 Sports is open to casino on these betting lines, well, but if they have, yeah, certainly get your bet in, I think. One thing that concerns me a little bit with Texas A&M just is the schedule. Uh, they are on the road in week two at, at Miami. Not that Miami's uh, experiencing any real heady days right now, but uh, uh, that being on the road is, is a little concerning. And then they're on the road in a crossover game at Tennessee, I think one of the tougher draws they could have, um, you know, for, for a crossover game with a with an East opponent there. But I think if you just look at what AM brings back and the returning production, again, I think you, you have a lot of reason to be optimistic about this season. Now, you could say, well, they lost a lot of guys to the transfer portal. True. In terms of quantity, they lost a lot of guys to the transfer portal. But a lot of their top talents are back. I they didn't they didn't suffer any crippling blows i thought to the transfer portal and you know they had their quarterback back and and Connor Wigman uh, who was their starting quarterback in a win against LSU late in the season the really one salvaging moment of last year so for all the criticism that we've had on this podcast for Jimbo Fisher on down the line i really do think this is going to be a bounce back season for the Aggies well, you alluded to this. I think it's very important always to be willing to set aside history and not get caught up in it. Just because the Aggies have been a perennial disappointment in the past doesn't mean it w- they will be a perennial disappointment this season. I mean, a lot of people think, you know, I've been a perennial disappointment as a columnist, uh, but occasionally I write a readable column. So I just occasionally, yeah, I I don't, I don't think you can base uh, too much on history. Let's get, and I really like the Petrino hire. No, you do. One other thing before we move on, John, and this, this really is the battle cry of the suffering team, but five games that A&M lost last year uh, were by a a single possession. Uh, And in fact, four of those games were by a field goal. So again, I know it's I know it's the rallying cry of the underachieving team to say, "Hey, look at how many games we lost by three points or lost by a touchdown." But I do think sometimes that that is an indicator of a team that is ready for a bounce back year in the upcoming season. I mean, it, it's an excuse in in the year it happens, but I do think it points to, "Hey, this team wasn't that far away on the scoreboard. It was that far away in the record, but." How many of those games did they just need a little bit more of an offensive punch? For the most part, the defense was fine last year. I think the defense is going to be fine again this year. With a full season now uh, of developing, maybe Connor Wigman's ready to give that offense a little bit more punch. All right, John, I know you got a dark horse queued up as well. Where are you going with your dark horse? Well, I've got a couple of them. Do you don't want me to have no, go, just go one? Ahead. That, no, you well, know, I won't limit for you one, to one. Well, I mean, for one, Auburn. I just uh, really like Hugh Freeze as a as a coach, as a turnaround kind of a guy who will upgrade that program tremendously over Brian Harson. Uh, I think Auburn was uh, that program's really frustrated. The fans are frustrated, and, and I think just a little something good happening early could really be huge for this team. Not sold on his quarterback yet, but 
he has a really good track record with them. And, and maybe Robbie Ashford will be a better quarterback under Hugh Freeze than he was under, uh, who was it? Uh, Carnell Williams, Cadillac Williams, and uh, who was the interim coach. And then, of course, Brian Orson. So I, I would go with Auburn. And another team I like, it's hard to project them as an underdog. But to me, LSU should be the consensus favorite to win the West. And a lot of people pick Alabama. But to me, it's not that close. LSU beat Alabama this past season when Alabama had Bryce Young. Now it doesn't have Bryce Young. LSU returns its quarterback, Jaden Daniels. Several really big-time players on defense and on offense. So uh, I think LSU should be the clear-cut favorite in the West and a, and a favorite uh, for the college football playoff. I'm with you, John, and and I want to unpack Auburn here uh, in just a moment. But because you mentioned LSU, LSU was was my other dark horse as well. So we're in we're in uh, lockstep there. And I know we're it, it's hard to call them a dark horse, as you say, because I, I I think they are going to be a preseason top ten team. But you know good and well when that SEC preseason media poll comes out in the summer, it the, the same thing's going to happen that happens every year. Alabama is going to be picked number one in the West. Now, I don't know that they'll be picked as SEC champions because I think the media will will jump on the, uh, the the Georgia machine and probably go in that direction for the for the overall championship. But in the West, I would be stunned if the media picks someone other than Alabama to win the West because that's what they do every year. They pick Alabama to win the West every year, and for the most part, that's a pretty strong strategy. <laughs> but if you take history out and you look at what each team is 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 coming back with, I, I, I'm with you. I, I think LSU is is much better set up for this season. We can talk about Alabama's number one ranked recruiting class was one of the best classes Nick Saban's ever had. Um, that's all well and good. We've said before on this podcast, we don't see Alabama necessarily hurtling off a cliff as a program, but a number one ranked recruiting class does not necessarily position you to play in Atlanta in the following season. You got to have more than a number one ranked recruiting class. And I think based on what is is coming back for LSU, they bring back Jaden Daniels, even have in the program right now, very good quality backup and Garrett Nussmeyer, nine starters back on offense. Harold Perkins back the standout on on defense. I, I just think that's a, a a unit with fewer, far fewer questions than what Alabama is facing right now. So I, I, I think far and away they should be picked to win the West. I think they're – if the SEC is going to get two teams in the college football playoff, John, I think the best chance is is going to be Georgia and LSU this year, not Georgia and Alabama. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and LSU also returns uh, – remember, it's defensive tackle who's considered to be one of the best linemen in the league, highly recruited – Mason Smith was injured in the opening game against Florida State, lost for the year. So he's back to anchor that game, that line. And you mentioned Harold Perkins, at linebacker, uh, one of the best players in the league, even as a freshman. So, yeah, I just think LA – plus I really like the way Brian Kelly has kind of bolstered his depth chart through the transfer portal. Maybe has an added significant star power but he's really strength getting strengthened his depth in both the offensive defensive line. 
and you know where that those are where a lot of injuries occur and you miss players for a game or two or three. I think he's I think he's really doing everything you need to do to have a championship program at LSU. Now, I want to get to your other dark horse there, John, and in, in Auburn. I'm maybe not as as bullish on Auburn being a dark horse this year as as you are. Uh, I do think the the Hugh Freeze hire is is going to jumpstart that program. Already is uh, jumpstarting that program. I think in terms of what he's recruiting, as compared to Brian Harson's disastrous recruiting efforts. But my concern with Auburn is, do they have a quarterback? Same concern I have with Alabama, really. Um, but with Auburn, it looks like Robbie Ashford's the man at quarterback, and we know how exciting he is as as a runner, uh, as someone who's uh, known on this podcast to profess a love for dual threat quarterbacks. Uh, I, I do like Robbie Ashford taking off on a, on a quarterback sweep. But you got to be able to throw it a little bit. And we'd see Robbie Ashford in, in games last November in particular. He'd make one or two dazzling throws, and then he'd throw five incompletions in a row. And I, I just, I know Hugh Freeze is, is really good with quarterbacks historically. But I don't know if there's enough magic dust there to, to sprinkle over Robbie Ashford to turn this into a, a seven or eight win team, which I think is, is kind of what we're probably talking about. If, if they're a dark horse coming off a five and seven season, you have to do better than, than that, right, to be a dark horse. But, but you think maybe here in year one, we, they, could, they could flip this around and be a seven, eight win team or, or more under Hugh Freeze? Yeah, I think seven would. It's not an unrealistic go. What I think Hugh Freeze will do with Robbie Ashford is really emphasize what he does well and really pull back on what he doesn't do well and have a limited package for him. To And I've seen this happen with, with coaches and quarterbacks, quarterbacks who are kind of struggling, new coach comes in, and he really structures the offense to bring out the best in this guy and make sure he doesn't he doesn't venture beyond that realm where he kind of just okay, here's what you do, and here's how we want you reading the field. You know, maybe we want you reading half the field. And then if you can't you can't find a guy open, then you run. We don't want you trying to read the whole field. And I'm speaking in general here not necessarily about Robbie Ashford, but I, I just think Hugh Freeze is good at that. And he's one with some, some pretty good quarterbacks, but not great quarterbacks. Um, so I can see him making Robbie Ashford better. How much better? I don't know. And, and the schedule for Auburn is always going to be tough. They're, they're paired in that annual crossover game with, with Georgia, uh, which, you know, for years, Auburn, certainly held its own in, in that series, but now that Georgia's on top of the sport, that looks as disadvantageous as, as ever. And then, you know, of course, they're in the SEC West on on top of that, uh, on top of having to play Georgia every year. John, a couple weeks ago on this podcast, while you were out, I, I took a look at, you know, possible future of SEC schedule, you know, when Texas and Oklahoma come into the league and, you know, much much talk of, of a nine-game schedule, teams being paired with with three possible rivals. And I had Christina Long on the show that week, who was guest co-hosting. I was, I was really worried about you in, in the hospital. You know, your, your health was really of my first priority, but the show must go on. 
and so I was kind of test driving some backup options should things not go well for you. But glad to have you back, and now that you are, was curious about what you thought about my rivalry assignments for Auburn in a possible nine-game schedule. Of course, you know two of the rivals are going to be Alabama and Georgia, but I gave them a cupcake as their third rival. I thought you need to have some sort of competitive balance there, and if they have to play Auburn and Georgia as two of their three rivals, I thought give them Vanderbilt as their third team they play every year. However, after I published that in a column, I heard from a lot of Auburn fans, but also Florida fans, that said the heck with the competitive balance, Auburn and Florida need to be playing every year. I think that's a rivalry that was a a bigger game before divisions took it off the the annual dance card. Uh, Those schools really aren't that far from each other. Certainly the Florida panhandle is kind of a melting pot of fan bases. You see a lot of Florida fans, a lot of Auburn fans in the panhandle, along with some Florida State and, and others. But what do you think about my assignments, and, and do you think they should just throw competitive balance out the window when when looking at these potential rivalries in a nine-game schedule and say, uh, hey, these things could go in cycles. We're just going to give you the three most logical rivals regardless of competitive balance. It, look, if you have to play Alabama and Georgia every year, you should get to play Vanderbilt, not just Vanderbilt, but Vanderbilt's second team. That. You've got to consider competitive balance in this. And the fans that are saying, oh, no, we want Florida, they're saying that now. They're not saying that in the heat of the season when they have to play Alabama, Georgia, Florida. I mean, come on. No, they definitely, if you're going to have to play Georgia and Alabama, heck, they should should get to play Austin P and call it a conference game. Who wants to play Alabama and Georgia? Wait a minute. Tennessee does that. And the other, I mean, before we move on to our overrated teams, you know, finishing up this thought, the other thing that that I like so much about this proposed nine-game model that's gotten so much conversation is even the teams you don't play every year, even your non-rivals, you're still going to play them once every two years. That's the upside of this model, the way they have it set up. And so... If, if Auburn and Florida is not a designated rivalry, you're going to play that every other year, which is still much more frequently than we're being treated to it now in the division structure. So I think you can preserve some competitive balance while still enjoying maybe those undercard rivalries much more frequently than, than we get now. Yeah, I'm all for a competitive balance. So we're on the same page there. All right, let's get into uh, overrated teams here. Why don't you start us off of teams that might be potentially overrated as as we see some of the early projections for the 2023 season? Well, I've already mentioned this, but Alabama, if it's a favorite in the West, it's overrated. Uh, Alabama has new coordinators. It doesn't have a proven quarterback as of yet. It doesn't have a star running back. It doesn't have a star receiver, and it lost its best defensive player. I know how good Alabama is consistently and how well it recruits, but I can't remember Nick Saban Saban facing these kind of problems. 
mainly the quarterback. The quarterback position becomes seemingly more paramount every year. And we just saw that with Bryce Young in Alabama. Alabama didn't want to think what its record might have been last year without Bryce Young. So I just maybe Alabama will come up with maybe Jalen Milrow or uh, who's the backup? Uh, Ty, Ty Simpson. Simpson. Yeah, yeah, Ty Simpson. Maybe one of those guys will surprise us. But right now, uh, if you've got Alabama in the top four, you're there. It's very much overrated. Uh, the other team I'll throw at you uh, is Kentucky. And I don't even know how high Kentucky is going to be ranked, but I just assume it will be rated overrated because that's been the case in recent years. So I'll just say overrated right off the bat. <laughs> you don't even know what the rating is. No, but, no, but it'll be too high. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you on Alabama. I think um, – I think the the preseason ratings, the the fact that Alabama is going to be picked to win the West, I, th- I think all of this is because of the name on the jersey, and that counts for something. When you've been as good as Alabama has been for this long under under Nick Saban, for as much as I say you can throw some history out the window, you don't throw it all out, and <laughs> and you don't discredit that the greatest coach ever to do it is, is on the sidelines. However. I just can't think of an Alabama season, an Alabama preseason, that, that maybe has faced as many question marks as this one has. I know Alabama's lost stars before. They, they, they perennially pump out guys to the NFL draft. But you usually had a good idea of, of who the heir apparent was going to be in a lot of key spots. And I think it goes beyond quarterback. You know, it's it just Alabama doesn't have some of the star power at wide receiver as clearly defined as it's had in the past. At offensive line, I don't think Alabama is as clearly etched in stone as it, it's been in the past. And, you know, we got a we got a glimpse of Jalen Milrow last year. Dynamic runner. But he had three turnovers in that loss, or excuse me, in that close win to Texas A&M. Very easily could have been a loss if A&M could have punched it in at the end of that game. If that was a preview of Alabama's starting quarterback situation this year, yeah, I think they're losing two to three games. Now, maybe maybe I feel a little more optimistic if it's the man behind the curtain, Ty Simpson, who we really hadn't haven't seen much of, was a freshman last year, didn't get didn't get on the field much last season. W- would you have a higher ceiling for Alabama? If you were told Jalen Milrow is going to be the starting quarterback, whom you've seen in, in relief duties against Arkansas and that start against A&M, or would you have a higher ceiling for them if it's the complete unknown of, of Ty Simpson? Yeah, I, I would take the unknown there. I don't see Jalen Milrow. Now, maybe Jalen Milrow will become the next Kay Jefferson, whom you adore. Maybe we... He's got that kind of runner, just a pulverizing runner once he gets into the secondary. Maybe he will become that, but still, I don't think he can make this offense function the way it did under Mac Jones or Tua Tungvalu or even Jalen Hurts or, or of course, Bryce Young. Another thing to look at here, when you think about some of Alabama's greatest teams, Alabama, I know it's been all about quarterbacks and receivers recently, but Alabama had two of the greatest running backs in SEC history in Derrick Henry, 
who's now established as one of the greatest running backs of all time, NFL included, and uh, and Najee Harris. I mean, I can still see Najee Harris hurdling players, defenders. So, uh, and and had Heisman Trophy candidates, receivers, at receiver. I don't see any of that now. Now somebody could emerge, but think of how Alabama's championship teams going into the season. We had a really good idea what Alabama would look like. And I can't recall going into a season where th- we're this unsure of what Alabama will look like, particularly on offense, and especially with the new offensive coordinator in Tommy Reese. John, if I were to tell you that going into December, so this would be after the Iron Bowl, into the regular season, as some call it, Alabama were 12 and 0 or if i were to say that following the iron bowl alabama were 9 and 3 which one would be more surprising to you would you be more surprised if they fell all the way to 9 and 3 or if they were undefeated going into an sec championship game not even close i'd be shocked if alabama were 12 and 0 i mean 9 and 3 seems like a very reasonable finish for alabama what we see right now mm Big, big words. Bama faithful are not going to like this, John. Uh, your other one, Kentucky. I don't know. I, it's, is Kentucky getting any hype? I, I get your point that they're always overhyped. <laughs> they were certainly, or, or that you, th- you think they're always overhyped. Uh, they were certainly overhyped last year. I think, I think there's going to be a course correction on that. And people in our line of work, I don't think Kentucky is going to get a bunch of buzz this year because they – they so failed to to match up to expectations last season. And, and they're not a team like Texas A&M that the media falls in love with every preseason. I think the media is going to have buyer's remorse uh, for being so bullish on Kentucky last year. Whereas I actually think, I, th- I think with the change at offensive coordinator for Kentucky going to the, the blast from the past and Liam Cohen, and I think with Devin Leary at quarterback, I think they could be better at quarterback than they were under Will Levis. Now, I will say, Devin Leary better be the guy. He better be healthy. His shoulder better be back in shape for the season because we saw what Kentucky looked otherwise at quarterback in its bowl game against Iowa, and it was an absolute disaster. So, yeah, if Devin Leary doesn't bounce back, doesn't get healthy, doesn't regain something like his 2021 form, then Kentucky might go four and eight. But if Devin Leary is healthy and is something resembling the quarterback he was two years ago at NC State, then I think Kentucky will be as good as they were last year, which was seven and six, which I think will be what a lot of the projections are. Well, you mentioned Liam Cohn, their offensive coordinator, goes back and forth between Kentucky and the NFL. Hopefully for Kentucky, there's not a sudden opening on an NFL staff in the offensive, <laughs> or he may bolt again. Uh, just just raising that possibility. But you're right. The drop-off from starting quarterback to backup from what we've seen, from what we've seen in these players, it's pretty extraordinary. And I know there are a lot of teams that aren't well-fortified depth-wise at the position, but that's pretty scary. We we saw that the Iowa game, that's the kind of game that really sticks with you. 
Before I move on to my overrated team, John, I will say never, never discredit Kentucky's ability to schedule themselves six or seven wins. Here's their month of September out of the gates. Hmm. Ball State, Eastern Kentucky, Akron, and Vanderbilt. Kentucky's going to be 4-0 at the end of September and ranked in the top 25. And I'll be able to say they're overrated. <laughs> there you That's go. That's just what I was hoping for. Uh-huh. Thank you. You're, you're playing chess. <laughs> I, I have one overrated team. I, I could only come up with, with one here that I felt was overrated based on some of the projections I'm seeing. Maybe that just makes me an SEC homer. I was looking at uh, a few things out there. Athlon had Florida as their number five team in the East in a too early projection. 24-7 sports had Florida's over-under at six and a half wins. John, as I look at this schedule, I don't see much of a path to bowl eligibility for Florida. I'm not sure I see much of a path to more than about three or four wins for Florida. They they struck out in the transfer portal for quarterbacks, and they bring in Graham Mertz, but Graham Mertz has thrown double-digit interceptions in the past two seasons. They, of course, thought they were going to get blue-chip recruit Jaden Rashada. Well, he's bound for Arizona State after an NIL deal gone wrong. They're having a changing of the guard and some spots on the offensive line, including their best offensive lineman, Cyrus Torrance. Now, they do have a good one-two punch at running back in Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne. But to me, this is just not a typical Florida team in terms of talent. It's certainly not what Florida fans have come to expect in terms of quarterback, unless Billy Napier uh, can wave a magic wand over Graham Mertz and turn him something into better than what we saw the past two seasons at Wisconsin. Mertz threw 10 10 interceptions last year, threw 11 interceptions in 2021. And, oh, by the way, he's going to see tougher competition in the SEC than what he saw in the Big Ten West. (laughs) Here's the schedule for Florida this year, John. I'm curious where you see the wins coming. Start off with Utah. Then they have McNeese, Tennessee, Charlotte, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, at South Carolina, Georgia, Arkansas, at LSU, at Missouri, Florida State. They were also at Kentucky. I didn't mention that. We, um, how many wins are you seeing? I'm seeing like four, maybe. I, I could see five, maybe. Yeah. I'd probably pick Florida five and seven. Because uh, I think Kentucky's overrated, and that's the game. You can, but really, I mean, you look at quarterback, Kentucky looks better. Quarterback, wide receiver, Kentucky looks better than Florida. You just you don't look at Florida and say, I like Florida's running backs. I really do. And one thing that was baffling to me, yes, they're losing an offensive lineman to the NFL, but they lost two other starting offensive linemen to Trent to the transfer portal. These guys had a pretty good year. Richard Garage, Garage, and Michael Tarquin. He's not at Florida. And I just found that odd. I thought Florida's offensive line performed better better than it has in quite a few years. 
and and then they just all disappeared. So there are those poor running backs. If I were one of those running backs, I'd have been out of there too. I definitely would have been, particularly when they signed Graham, Graham Mertz as quarterback. You won't have much overhead support. You're going to be running into the teeth of the defense a lot. Golly, Billy Napier, he's already on the hot seat. Yeah, I wrote about that recently, John. Uh, the question of if this season goes something resembling what we're talking about here, does Billy Napier get a year three? I mean, he's tied to Scott Strickland, Florida's athletic director. Scott Strickland also hired and then fired Dan Mullen. Athletic directors don't often get the chance to hire three football coaches. So Scott Strickland has every reason to want Billy Napier to succeed. So that's A. B, his buyout will still be over $30 million at the end of this year. Now, I know I'm I'm a advocate of throw the buyouts out the window because that's usually what university administrators do. $30 million would would still be significant. It'd be twice as much, more than twice as much as Florida paid to fire Dan Mullen. And yet, you know, on the heels of going six and seven and getting drubbed in a bowl game, Florida follows this up with a four or five win season. Boy, there is going to be a a lot of disgust within the within the Gator fan base that, as you know, John, uh, love those Gator fans when when things are rolling good. <laughs> love going to the swamp when things are going good. It's one of my favorite venues to, to cover a game. But when things start going south, they hop off that bandwagon Ooh. so fast they're spraining both ankles. Yeah, yeah you, you mentioned that bowl game. That was one of the surest games in terms of looking at a betting line. If I were betting, uh, I, don't, I don't bet, but if I did – that Oregon State Florida game. I just thought Oregon State would kill Florida, and it did. When you think about it, and then we just talked about Kentucky in that Iowa Bowl game. If you watch those two games, would you think would you come away thinking, no doubt about it, the SEC is the best football conference in the country? I don't think so. I just uh, here's the thing. See, I I, I see a tw- uh, a twin firing here a package deal, AD and coach, you just, I just don't think Florida can withstand and Napier can withstand another bad season. And it's not just the record. I mean, if Florida was a little more flashy, if it were, you know, if it were throwing the ball over the place, making some exciting plays and then losing in the end, kind of like the way it lost the Tennessee game in Knoxville this past season. Anthony Richardson passed for over 400 yards. Florida made a great comeback, recovered a non-side kick. Really exciting game. But when you go out there and you have no hope of advancing the ball on offense, that just doesn't work with Florida football. It's been an offensive-minded program when it's at its best. Urban Meyer, Steve Spurrier hadn't approached that, but it, at its best, when Dan Mullen was there, it's easily forgotten that Dan Mullen had a pretty good year there at Florida. Had three yeah. pretty good years there. Well, I just don't think Billy, ne- I mean, at least Mullen, I know recruiting was an issue with him, but he was offensive minded. 
when they were throwing the ball around with Kyle Trask. They were a fun team to watch. They're not a fun team to watch now, and the record's not going to be fun to watch either. Here's the other thing, John, is uh, a win over a rival can do wonders for a, a coach who's spinning his tires. But I look at what Florida has. You know, if you want to say four rivalry games, if you if you say Tennessee, Georgia, LSU, and Florida State, let's call those four rivalry games for Florida. Uh, I think they're going on four in those rivalry games. Tennessee's Tennessee finding a pulse is about the worst thing for Billy Napier. He, he this isn't the Will Muschamp days when he can when he can count on some comatose Tennessee team with uh, Derek Dooley on the sidelines. No, Ten- Tennessee's found a pulse, and that's not uh, that's not what Billy Napier wants to see, especially not with Georgia and LSU, you know, being college football playoff contenders. Heck, I mean, Florida State might win the ACC and find itself in a college football playoff conversation this year. I, I see that, that that's not the rivalry lineup you want. You want that old, the Tennessee of old, where they're going to come limping into the swamp with some incompetent um, coach with orange pants on the sidelines. Yeah, maybe Georgia under Ray Goff, LSU under Curly Hallman, Florida State under Willie Taggart. I think Willie Taggart was there for a cup of coffee, wasn't he? Blink of an eye. Yeah, and oops, he's gone. Um, I just think uh, Florida, the other thing, when you bring up Tennessee, because Tennessee and Florida, even when Florida was bad, it could still count on beating Tennessee all those years. Now, not only is Tennessee much improved, it looks what Florida fans would like Florida to look like. Led the nation in points per game, led the nation in yards per game. It's fun to watch. It's, uh, you know, high up-tempo, spread them out, throw it, run it, whatever. It might lose, but it's going to go down in a in a just a deluge of points, it's going to score plenty. And I, and I think that's what Florida fans would like to see. Of those four rivalry games, I think Florida might come close in one of those four just through happenstance. It'll catch somebody on deck. But I don't think – I think in the other, in three other games it will be manhandled. And, and they have the balls in week three. To me, that is – that is such a big one, John, because they open on the road at Utah. They go out to Utah and lose. Certainly possible, probably expected. And then come back two weeks later, lose at home in the swamp to Tennessee, back to back losses to Tennessee. Something Tennessee excuse me, Florida fans have they don't they don't expect to back back to back losses to Tennessee. We we've called that a rivalry over the years. Really hasn't been a true rivalry since what, the nineties. And and even then, Florida had the upper hand in that series under Steve Spurrier. But certainly since the 90s, I mean, it's been all Gators, really, up until last year. So back-to-back losses to Tennessee, you know, on the heels of a possible road loss to Utah. I just think that that buyout's nice protection for Billy Napier. But other than that, I, I think the heat and the angst in the fan base could turn up really quickly, particularly, as you say, there's not a lot to sell going forward. You know, if you could... If you could hand the baton in October to Jaden Rashada and say, look, I know things aren't great right now, but look at this quarterback I just signed. Uh, we're going to be a lot more exciting. Just get me to year three because we're going to be a lot more exciting with this quarterback. But they're not going to be able to do that. They're going to have veteran Graham Mertz out there 
um, you know, looking like Jeff Driscoll, I guess. And I don't think that's a bright future to sell. Why didn't Florida go after Spencer Sanders, Oklahoma State's quarterback? He signed with Ole Miss. You can't tell me he's not a better option than Graham Mertz. Maybe it did and he just couldn't get him. I, I tell you what, I think Florida is going to get absolutely steamrolled out there in Utah. Utah is probably still kicking itself for losing that game in the swamp last year. Clearly the better team went on to have a really good, good year, but absolutely blew that game to Florida. And I think playing in Utah is going to be a lot different than playing in the swamp. And I just look like Florida's start. See, I, I think what's going to happen, Florida's going to lose two games right away. And you mentioned the, uh, how, how well it's, uh, fans stick by struggling teams so they will be you you know you would think a fire alarm sounded there in the swamp we'll be racing out of it before we go john and we've, we've gotten into a little tennessee conversation here by means of florida but i thought you might go with tennessee or south carolina as one of your dark horses i know you were high on south carolina coming into last year as a dark horse, and they paid off for you in the end. It was a bit of a, a circuitous way of getting there, but I think, you know, undeniably, after wins over Tennessee and Clemson, you could say it was a building block season for for Shane Beamer there and uh, better than the last, and, and momentum continued to build in that program. I thought you might go with the Vols or South Carolina as one of your sleeper teams. Of those two, if I were to say one of them is in a New Year's Six Bowl this year. I don't want to go crazy talk, college football playoff, but you know we saw Tennessee last year with Hinton Hooker at the controls most of the season. They were able to get to a New Year's Six, played in the Orange Bowl. A couple years ago, Ole Miss was in that role of a bit of a dark horse team getting to the Sugar Bowl and Matt Corral. If I were to tell you that Tennessee or South Carolina was going to fill that role this year and and uh, be maybe... Uh, you know, lurking in the shadows a little bit and get to a New Year's Six, who who would you say is more likely? Oh, it's it's not up for debate. I definitely Tennessee. And the reason I didn't say Tennessee is a dark horse is because I think of Tennessee as a top 10 team. I think Tennessee will be really good again. I'm a firm believer in Josh Heupel's offense. Uh, defense should be better. And uh, the running backs returning, some good receivers. Whoever's a quarterback, I think he'll be really good in that system. So I really like Tennessee. I don't think of it as a dark horse. As for South Carolina, yeah, that's a really good dark horse pick, but it just – I hate investing too much emotion in South Carolina because it's just so painful. It, it's it's up and down. I mean, it has these horrible games and then closes out the season playing great. That was the team I thought South Carolina would be – before the season started was the team that finished the season. Spencer Rattler making plays all over the place. But I just don't – that to me is a really unpredictable program right now. Shane Beamer's doing a great job of recruiting. He's got some transfers. But I'm just still – I'm still uncertain where that team will go. Yeah, I, I think I fall in the same place on South Carolina. I, I like the – Potential for upside there with a third-year coach and a veteran quarterback. Uh, I always like, you know, when you when you see a quarterback 
like Spencer Rattler, who you you can see the talent there. And it's not just like, well, maybe this guy will put it all together in his last year. Like we've already seen him start to put it together. It wouldn't be be that big of a leap for Spencer Rattler to become an all conference quarterback this year. We know he has the talent. I like those type of teams with a settled in coach and a talented veteran quarterback to sort of be, you know, underdog type teams to exceed projections. But I am concerned with the inconsistencies you've talked about as much as we could talk about the wins over Clemson, Clemson and, and Tennessee. They also lost to Arkansas, Florida and Missouri. And that seems to be kind of the mold. The early read on Shane Beamer's tenure is if there's a knock on it, it's that as he gets his team up for these big games, but the more uh, toss up games down the line games, or, or even you're a slight favorite. And it's like, yeah, these are games you need to win. Two years in, South Carolina stubbed its toe in, in, I think, too many of those games, and that, that does probably keep me from labeling them as a dark horse. I think they're a, game, a, a team that can can win about eight games again this year, but that's where they were last season, too. I, I worry about them from an inconsistency perspective, but if they get rid of that, I, I think the combo of, of Spencer Rattler and, and Shane Beamer as, as two guys that are settled in there now, could could make them a team kind of on the fringe of that conversation. And really a team, if you're late in the year, you really don't want to play. If you're go, things are going well, you're a 10-point favorite, you're playing at South Carolina. We saw that with Tennessee last season. Um, because not only is uh, the team, un- South Carolina team, unpredictable, Spencer Rattler is capable of having these just remarkable games. He's one of those guys that it seems like when he gets in a groove, everything works. He'll throw it across the field. Don't throw that ball. Nope, completed 25 yards. He can really make plays, and it can go the other way for him. And I think it's 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 questionable when you're putting that much on one guy, but he can have one of those unbelievable games that can completely – overturn the the point spread and, and really append a, a favorite. Last thing before we go, John, I know you love the Missouri Tigers. Of, of all the SEC expansions, that's the one that I, I feel like if you could add Missouri again, you'd add them twice. But uh, what do you think about the development out there in Columbia that their possible QB of the future, Sam Horn, suffered what Eli Drinkwitz is labeling a minor minor injury to his forearm in baseball. What do you think? I, I know how high you are on Missouri in the SEC. You'd love that addition, but that just don't seem very SEC-like to me when your potential quarterback of the future is out there playing baseball games. I don't have a lot of factual basis for this, but I'm just going to go out on a limb and say one of the worst baseball programs in the league. Is that fair? That's fair. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Yeah, it just it's just a kind of shot in the dark there because I don't really follow that program day-to-day in baseball. No, no, um, there's about 12 people who do. Uh-huh. Well, uh, so Sam Horn. <laughs> a, f- a forearm strain, uh, excuse me, a forearm strain in, in the baseball victory over Florida International. That just doesn't sound real SEC-like to me. I don't, I don't no, know. No, that, that just... <laughs> You know, when you mention Missouri, the the thing that always pops into my head is that last minute drive by Army in a bowl game. 
after the 21 season. I just didn't think that was conceivable that Army with its offense could go down the field that quickly, but Missouri managed to shepherd it along its way. So <laughs> I just wanted to get your thoughts on, yeah, on well, Sam Horn's forearm strain and a game against FIU in, in the spring before we before we headed out the door there. All right, well, there you have it. There's our dark horses. There's our overrated teams. We'll recant that we ever said any of this come about October. We'll be back with you next week. Thanks for listening to this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered.